0: Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening in. I am so excited to have Laura, the host of The Anthroposopher, as my guest for this episode. Laura is so personable, and in the episode, we largely focus on her relationship to different ideas in the area of anthroposophy, as well as how she discovered it, and her work with the Anthroposophical Society in America. I think it's nice to hear stories of individuals, personal discoveries and journeys with anthroposophy. Laura is so lovely and relatable. She was a perfect guest for bringing a story of personal discovery with anthroposophy to you. So, you know, at the end of this episode, I'll be giving a brief update on the next series of Waldorfee podcast episodes. At the end of every episode, I share the show notes page link as well. And because I'm talking about it now, the show notes page for this episode is com forward slash anthroposopher. The show notes page has an embedded link so you can listen to the episode right there, as well as additional notes and resources for the episode. Now let me introduce you to my guest, Laura Scappatissi. Before joining the ASA in 2016, Laura had over 16 years of experience in education, creating, and managing events and programs. She served as the Dean of Student Life at Rudolf Steiner College in Fair Oaks, California, attended Waldorf teacher training in New Hampshire, and coordinated a thriving anthroposophical study group. She expresses a core interest in investigating the ways anthroposophy informs and elevates today's individuals by connecting with contemporary cultural innovations and concerns. In addition to creating events, webinars, and the ASA podcast, The Anthroposophical She is on the Executive Committee of the Council of Anthroposophical Organizations.
1: Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. It is so great to be here. Thank you for having me on your super show.
0: (laughs) So I want to first talk about how you discovered Anthroposophy and what drew you to it.
1: Well, interestingly enough, it was, of course, through Waldorf education. We lived in Vancouver, British Columbia, while my husband was going to architecture school. And while we were there, um, we had two children and we wanted to stay in Canada, but we wanted to move back to the East Coast to be closer to uh, our family from the East Coast. And while we were there, we met a midwife and she said, OK, now, if you're looking at Kingston, Ontario, when you get there, you have to look at the school. It's called Mulberry School. And I was like, what school is called Mulberry School? Like that sounded so like so super duper cute to me and a little funny. And so when we went to Kingston, we did actually end up moving there. We visited the school. And as soon as I walked in and we walked in together, I was like, what is this? This looks different than any other school I've ever been to. Everything was natural. Like the light was really beautiful. All the toys were made of wood. like There were like carrots and peppers and cucumbers. And I'd never seen anything like it. And so just the feeling in the building and, and the, the play yard was super natural too. So our eldest went to the parent-child there. Uh, Class there, and that's when I started to learn a little tiny bit about anthroposophy. Um, And the teacher there, she was so amazing. Uh, I can just say a little bit more. She, my husband, was raised Catholic and had really like left that. left religion altogether. And I wasn't raised with any religion. And so when they started to do like a blessing in the classroom, he had all kinds of questions and was not down with it at all. Um, even like, he was like, well, why are they lighting a candle? And it wasn't like a religious blessing. It was just like a really sweet kind of earthy thing um, and gratitude thing. But he, he was worried about it. And I started to talk with her about Waldorf. And she told me to check out Simplicity Parenting. Um, Which is a parenting method, and she said, "You know, I think you you can just investigate. You know, why we have things like the blessing in the room, and why we light a candle, and it doesn't have to be religious for you, and and it isn't a a religion at all. Anthroposophy. It's it's really just a." an investigation of the the world that is around us in all different ways. And so that's how I encountered it through Waldorf, through this really generous, kind early childhood teacher who had no judgment about our judgment um, and just opened the door to us. So,
0: yeah. And so how did you pursue it? I guess from there, you had this interest that was sparked and did it kind of feel like something that allowed you to explore spirituality that was outside
1: religion? Yeah, it did actually. So what happened was we moved um, back into the U S and, uh, there wasn't a Waldorf school in the town we were moving to. And so we met a few people and we said, why don't we just start to have a study group? Like, we'll just like look into Waldorf education. And so we started reading about Waldorf education. Then we were like, okay, let's go a little further. What What's kind of behind this? And uh, we met a woman that was running a study group near a Walder school near Philadelphia. And she started coming up to our our house. And we read the book, How to Know Higher Worlds together. And we were all like young parents, little kids. We, we got a babysitter. We'd have a potluck every time. And we like cordoned off a part of our room so we could do this uh, study of the book, How to Know Higher Worlds. And in there, it talks about the picture of the human being and, um, very practical exercises you can do for like inner development. And that is what really opened the door and showed me that it was, you know, far beyond anything with uh, dogma. Uh, that was what my husband was very opposed to and, you know, what I was super uncomfortable with too.
0: I think that, Attracts me to anthroposophy as well, actually it's different and unique in that usually when you look at something and you think oh do i do I have interest in this or do I want to be a part of it or pursue it you're looking at it from the inside It's more us most innermost core and looking out, but the way people discover anthroposophy most often from what I hear is they see something like Waldorf education or what Steiner had to say about bees or biodynamic farming. And they look at how he talked about these aspects of the natural world or the development of a child. And just as an observant human, you yourself can see how some of those things really connect and make sense. And then it kind of sparks something to say, wow, maybe I want to look a little bit deeper into this. Uh, I think it's a little bit different in that way, that you really can go, I guess, through the layers, you know, from the outside kind of going towards the inside as you learn more. I don't know if that's how it was for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way of explaining it. And I think that is something that's different about Anthroposophy as a movement, as a spiritual, you know, as a spiritual movement is that it does have all these practical pieces to it, like medicine and the things you've been interviewing people about and farming and education. And that allows people to enter it through that very practical thing that's happening in the world. So yes, mm-hmm, they're different.
0: So how would you describe anthroposophy as a path of inquiry rather than a belief system?
1: Yeah, I think that um, that's a really important distinction for people uh, because they can I think people can treat it like a belief system. Um, they can do that. And I know people that that do that, but it's really not meant to be that it's meant to be an engagement with ideas that you bring into yourself and you experiment with and see how they apply. And that's kind of what you just said in a way. It's like, OK, so here's this writing about bees and. Um, If I observe the bee, am I going to notice the spiritual aspect of what's happening? Am I going to notice a sense of community um, in the hive and a a means of service, how bees are always serving? And you take that in and then you can look at that in relationships So, what does that mean to the human being? And you don't have to believe that humanity should be in service to, you know, humans should be in service to other humans or that um, the in, you know, the spiritual world is connected to all that. You you don't have to do that. You, you have to keep trying to understand the concept and work with it and see when it develops inside yourself. And if it doesn't develop inside yourself, then you're not asked to believe it. (laughs) You're asked to keep investigating and see if it feels right. And I, I actually think Rudolf Steiner, um you know, he had amazing ideas, but never wanted people to accept them without doing their own inner work around them. That wouldn't be anthroposophy. That would be more like um, religion, which is great for some people, but was not working for me or for my husband anymore. So,
0: Right. And that kind of leads me into my next question, which is how is anthroposophy accessible to all? I actually had a conversation, the very first episode I recorded was with the most amazing guest. I interviewed Torin Finzer and he's Amazing. I was just so nervous when I spoke with him and kind of intimidated. And he was like brilliant the entire time. And one of the things I asked him was actually this question. And I'm kind of curious to hear your answer. Uh, We talked about how he has traveled all over the world and introduced Waldorf education to different cultures and people of who come from different beliefs and different backgrounds. So how do you see Anthroposophy uh, accessible to everybody, particularly I'm wondering about people who come from different belief systems, uh, in different religions, do they have to completely leave behind their religious beliefs or can they somehow be incorporated into their exploration of Anthroposophy?
1: Yeah. I mean, what a great person to interview first, um, Torin and, and I understand why you were nervous. And that was a really beautiful interview, by the way. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank <side you>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I definitely don't need to leave your religious beliefs behind or your religious practices at all. Anthroposophy doesn't ask people to do that. Uh, it really invites them into inner work that, you know, I think I think there's a thread through all religions that's connected to a picture of love and the human being and, and more than what we see with our eyes. Um, what we can perceive through our hearts. And I think that's common in almost all religion. And that shows up in anthroposophy. So certainly there wouldn't be a request to leave behind any practices. I think there would be more of a request to keep looking further and just trying to notice the human being The similarities between the human being and the the spiritual side of the world um, in all belief systems and take into account practices that strengthen uh, the human being in their own understanding of themselves and others. So there's no, there's, it's open. And I know people that are Jewish, strongly Jewish that, you know, are anthroposophist and Catholic that are anthroposophist and Mm -hmm. Swedenborg, that are anthroposophists. So, I mean, that's, everybody is, is welcome to work with their own religious practices and beliefs and also explore anthroposophy.
0: I hope you're enjoying Laura's story. I have to quickly extend a big thanks to Walderview Podcast supporter Palumba. Palumba, loosely meaning wooden dove, was founded in two thousand seven to fill the need for the desired of safe, high quality, all natural toys made in the U.S. Palumba's selection of products are carefully chosen to ensure that they're made of wood, wool, silk, and cotton, along with other natural materials. They're also the only retailer that features the complete Camden Rose line. Camden Rose's commitment to durability, beauty, natural, and renewable materials make them the American leader in eco-friendly natural toy and children's furniture design. A handful of items come from a woman's cooperative improvement while the majority of items are made in the U.S. Palumba is a family owned business growing with wonderful new products each year. Their belief is that imaginative, open ended play with simple toys crafted from beautiful natural materials offers children warmth and a sense of well being when discovering their world. You can check out their selection of Waldorf toys, books, and art supplies at their website, palumba.com. That's P A L U M B A.com. Yes, so I'd love to talk now about what is offered through the ASA, the Anthroposophical Society in America. And about your, your work there. So what can one find if uh, they, they want to learn more about Anthroposophy and yeah, through the ASA?
1: Yeah. So we have a, a lot of educational resources for people. Um, I started about four years ago. And just before that, the Anthroposophical Society started doing some online webinars and things like that. And we've really expanded that. So the, the really cool thing about anthroposophy, and I remember my brother actually is an anthroposophist, and we found it separately not connected to each other. It's really strange how this happened. We didn't go to Waldorf school. It was just, we both ended up on this. That uh, is
0: so interesting. And how did he find it?
1: You know, he went into like an occult, um, new age kind of bookstore and found a Rudolf Steiner book and just said, I was like, why is this interesting to you? And he said, it's never ending. Like it just keeps going. It's the thing that could hold his interest the longest. And um, and he, you know, read and read and read and read philosophy all the time. And just this is the thing that held his interest the longest. And I think people will say that about anthroposophy because Rudolf Steiner and other people that write about anthroposophy, it just goes on and on and on (laughs) in terms of what you can explore. So,
0: yeah, um, that's what I was, I think, meaning when I was talking about the layers, right? There's just so many layers that you can keep peeling back and peeling back and deepening your understanding.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've worked for the Anthroposophical Society and people say things. I'm like, what, what is that that you're talking about? I still don't know. You know, I'm like, oh, there's something else for me to discover. Thank you. Oh, you're talking about the stars now. Right. Okay. How do I explore that? Oh, you're talking about the divine feminine. That's in, you know, Anthroposophy too. Great. Tell me more. And then of course, you know, farming and medicine and uh, everything, it just goes on and on. So yeah, those are so many layers anyway. So, oh yeah. Anthroposophical society. We have a lot of online resources available. Um, For example, we have uh, a webinar called metamorphosis with Craig Holdridge from the nature Institute, and they do a lot with plant observation there and Gertian study of, of, Of nature in general. And we did a webinar with him and he talked about, you know, the plant and how it changes from seed to plant and all the different parts of it and how it decays and how that in that decay and the death of the plant is actually giving life because the seed is formed. I mean, really just fascinating. Um, We have have webinars on meditation, on biography work. I don't know uh, how much um, biography work you've explored here, Uh, but...
0: We haven't explored any yet. And Uh-oh. I might, now that you're mentioning it, I'm going to maybe have to find someone to speak about that. Cause you're not the first person that's brought that up actually. And it's the one topic that I really didn't know anything about. At all when I started this season. So, yeah, maybe I will have to find a guest to speak.
1: Uh, oh, yeah, I can definitely suggest some people to you. A biography work is so cool because it's kind of, as a podcaster, it's kind of what you're doing in a way you're finding out more about people's stories and then how your story, listening to other people's story, how that impacts your story. And I'm not talking about it as eloquently as I could, but biography is amazing. So we have a few webinar series on that. And then we just did a national conference. So We have national conferences, too. We have one that's like our annual conference. And then we usually have a topic-specific conference. And for the past three years, we've taken up the topic of death and dying, which sounds like, oh, my God, that conference would be so heavy. It's actually like the most positive, light, beautiful conference we had and if you talk to anthroposophists they all know about like death and dying they're like really kind of into it and this really um if, if you don't know uh that much at first you're like why are they like so interested in this and it's because there's this picture that when people die and this is unavoidable um that there is a possibility of continuing to connect with people. And that is really something that's so interesting to me because I lost my mom when I was 26 and then I, I could like never really moved through that experience. And then I got this job and I had to do a conference on death and dying. I was like, are you kidding me? This is horrible. I, 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 like I haven't even settled this at all in myself. I still have a horrible relationship to that topic and was not connected to my mom at all. And then oh my gosh, I have a t- it completely turned around my perspective on what it means to, you know, carry somebody in your heart and be able to, um, like I can read her a poem now and I feel like totally cool about that. And you know, when she shows up in my dreams, I'm like, sup mom, like I have a different, uh, situation. I'm not having bad dreams about her anymore. It's like really, really changed my relationship with her because she's with me no matter what you know, she's my mom. So even if you don't think that the person is like a spiritual being in there with you, and that's not quite the picture Anthroposophy gives, but uh, it's really that staying connected is really amazing. So I digress, but those are some of the things that the Anthroposophical Society has. We're a membership organization. We ask you to please join, and then you can have our magazine, Being Human. It's a really beautiful magazine. You have access to all our webinars and our conferences and discounts on things like that. And then you're part of a global community. So the Anthroposophical Society in America is just a small part of a global anthroposophical society that's, and I, I'm sure you've talked about this before, that's headquartered in uh, in door switzerland at the gertianum and you're part of an international group of people that are interested in the same thing then which to me is really exciting i know people all over the world now because i'm connected to the anthroposophical society
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Laura, for sharing that um, experience about that conference and how it deepened your relationship with your mother. I really liked that. I think that that's exactly the kind of story that people hear and they're going, Anthroposophy, it seems so out there. And when you hear about people who have stories with uh, any sort of, I guess, branch of Steiner's ideas, that's the way I kind of describe all of the ideas under the umbrella of Anthroposophy. And we haven't talked about death and dying and Steiner's views on that at all uh, in this season. And I'm really glad that you kind of tapped into that a little bit, because I think in hearing that, that might touch on someone and they say, oh, wow, that's actually something that I'm really interested in kind of diving into and pursuing, and I guess allows a way that they can connect and and find it. And that's the, that's, I mean, certainly was Waldorf education for me. You know, I went to a Waldorf school and had this experience that was really rich. And then as an adult looked back and said, Whoa, what was that? I have to, that was connected to all these other things. And what are all, what are all those other things? And that's kind of what you know, caused me to look deeper. So thank you so much for sharing that that experience. Is there anything else that you want to share about the ASA or resources that were helpful for you as you were discovering anthroposophy?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that what we're doing now, one of the things that was helpful for me when I was exploring anthroposophy is that I did have this study group. And so what we've been doing, online, even prior to everybody being online, because a lot of us are in our homes right now, is we started having community gatherings online that were just free and open to members and non-members to just come and explore different festivals. And so most recently, we did an online gathering about Whitsun, which is White Sunday, which is another word for it, is Pentecost. And basically, This was a hard one for me. I didn't really understand Whitson for a while. Um, Michaelmas is another big festival. And of course, the Holy Nights is another big festival or part of the year that people really look at when they're connected to anthroposophy. But we had about almost 600 people registered to come. And we had about 270 people on the call. And we have one speaker, Orland Bishop, and he's down in LA and he works with youth that might have had gang involvement. And he's just a really incredible person. He wrote a book called The Seventh Shrine that was about the Middle Passage and slavery and initiation. And he came on the call and he talked about this time of year with sin and how it related to the events that are happening in the world. And then we asked people to, how far do you want me to go with this? Because I could explain what Whitson is. Do you want me to talk about that?
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Okay. So again, I'm not connected to um, religion, but this is a little bit more connected to a a Christian uh, festival or Christian event that happens. But uh, we're always talking about esoteric Christianity, which I think is you know, this is one of those tricky topics with anthroposophy, uh, because I had a hard time when I would find things like that in anthroposophy. And I was like, that's not me, you know, but the way that Steiner's talking about it is in this universal human to human, human to the natural world, human to the spiritual world, whatever that means for you, uh, perspective. So different than dogma or strict rules or things that would separate people. It's about humanity coming together. So this festival in particular, so basically, and here's the, the little Christian part of it. So Jesus is, uh, is crucified. He comes back and he's hanging out with all the disciples, the 12 disciples. And then he's like, oh, I gotta go. I, got, I have to leave again. So he leaves, that's that's essentially, he goes back up and they're basically walking around in a daze and they're like, oh my gosh, this this person that has been changing the world through love and, you know, having people come together, he's gone. We don't know what to do. And they walk around in a daze and then Pentecost comes, I think it's 15 days later after ascension and it, right then Mary says to them, guys, you need to get your act together. People are going to be outraged by the way I'm talking about this, but I'm going to keep going anyway, because this is how I understand it. Get your axe together. you need to be able to talk about what he brought. You have to do it now. He's not here. And then you know the picture, all the imagery in the Bible and imagery and that we work with and, and anything related to anthroposophy, these fiery tongues rain down. and basically what that means is there's a request for all 12 of those people to speak in their own language what it means to be connected and love each other and be a part of a universal humanity. And that's really what Pentecost is about. So can you imagine that this happening right now, at this point in our country's history, that we're being asked to speak in our own languages so everyone can understand and have an understanding of universal humanity. And this is where anthroposophy blows me away, because I was like, okay, I don't understand what that is. I don't have a connection to it through a Bible or religious movement. But do I get that? Yeah, that's where it's a method of inquiry, not... A belief system because I get what it means for us all to be able to speak to each other, hear each other, and develop a sense of universal humanity. And that's um, what we talked about on that call. And everybody got to say their own words about what it meant to them. And um, yeah, now that's available for anybody that wants to learn more about Witson, they can come to the Anthroposophical Society site and and check that out. And they could check out and they can check out all kinds of any of the festivals are available for there. And they can come to our community gatherings. And that's that's what the Anthroposophical Society is doing right now, making it accessible and open to people that people that know a whole lot about Anthroposophy, people that don't know very much, just to explore together.
0: Yeah. I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, the anthroposophical society in America is sort of like it it, because all of anthroposophy is like this. It's something that connects everybody with all of these different ideas under this huge tree. I've used that, I guess in describing anthroposophy or like a huge umbrella. Um, And one who, you know, isn't interested in the festivals or isn't interested um, in, anthroposophical medicine, but is interested in Waldorf education, there's there's ways to learn more about these different aspects. You don't have to kind of jump in and say, oh, I'm into everything at once, you know, and you may find something speak to you more and some things don't. And uh, I think that that's something to mention too, to people is that it's not like one big umbrella. This is what I'm diving into. And I'm into all the things. And um, I think that there are a lot of people just like you and I who discovered kind of one little tiny aspect and are slowly learning more and more and diving deeper over time.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's as many different types or ways of being with anthroposophy as there are people that are interested in anthroposophy. And I think that's important to remember. It's going to look different for everybody and everybody's going to have a different interest. And we're hoping through the Anthroposophical Society to meet that interest in in all the different ways that it comes in.
0: Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Laura. (laughs) Thank you so
1: much. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, and of
0: course, we haven't even (sighs) mentioned your podcast. You have to tell the audience about your podcast. How can we forget?
1: I totally didn't talk about that. That's right. So um, when I started, actually before I started with the Anthroposophical Society as their director of programs, I really wanted to create a podcast about Anthroposophy that people could, and I think I I actually called it Anthropop Culture, and um, I was all ready to go. Okay, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I still might do that one day. But um, yeah, so anyway- it's now called the anthroposopher, the anthroposopher instead of the anthroposophist, but because that feels a little more active. And basically I interview people. Now I have access to all these amazing people that I can talk to about everything under the sun is related to anthroposophy. Um, We talk to people about diversity and equity and inclusion. We talk to people about trauma, talk to people about peace work, about the festivals, about meditation, um, death and dying, all kinds of stuff. And so you can just look on your um, phone under podcast and find the anthroposopher and you'll see a little picture of me walking up the stairs at the Gertiana a very, my first time there that my friend Anna took while I was there.
0: Wonderful. And I will share a link to the podcast on the show notes page for this episode as well. So I'm so glad we remembered to
1: talk about that. That was awfully
0: <laughs> silly of it to forget. But again, thank you so much, Laura, for uh, joining me.
1: Thanks, Ashley. Looking forward to uh, talking to you again sometime soon. Thank you all so much for listening in. Know that
0: you can find additional show notes for this episode at waldorfy.com forward slash anthroposopher. If you follow Waldorfy on social media, you'll know that I'm planning a mini-series of Waldorfy episodes titled Inclusion and Belonging for the Black Community in Waldorf Education. I spoke about this at the end of the last episode as well, which was episode 308, The Camp Hill Movement. I am still lining up guests for this series, and it's my hope that I can get it started sometime in July. I just wanted to give you this quick update to let you know it's still on. It's just going to take me about a month or so to get it released. It's a challenging and sensitive time for the black community, and I am dedicated to being respectful and patient in organizing these interviews with black individuals who will speak with me in this series. For those of you who are looking forward to learning about the extra lesson and curative education, I am still trying to wrap up this season with those episodes. If you don't see them released in the next few weeks, don't worry. This is on my radar, and I will get to covering these topics. I want to quickly remind you of how you can support the Waldorfie podcast. Writing a positive review is a wonderful way to do this. Sharing the podcast with your friends and family is also a great way to support the growth of the show. I would so love for you to check out our Patreon page. Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself to create content that you love with a small monthly contribution. The Waldorfie podcast is a free resource for parents and those interested in Waldorf education and anthroposophy, but free doesn't pay the bills. It would mean so much to me if you would consider becoming a supporter. If you want to learn more about how you can support the podcast on Patreon, please visit Waldorfe.com forward slash Patreon. I cannot begin to express to you how much I really appreciate all of your support of the podcast. Again, special thanks to Waldorfe Podcast supporter Palumba. As a reminder, you can check them out at palumba.com and for a list of my favorite Waldorf toys, be sure to visit Waldorfe.com forward slash favorite toys, and that is favorite as we spell it in the US. As always, I so appreciate your feedback on this episode. You can always reach me at info.waldorphy at gmail.com or leave a comment on the show notes page for this episode. Again, the show notes page for this episode can be found at waldorphy.com forward slash anthroposopher. I would so love to connect with you on social media. I'm at BeWaldorphy, that's be Waldorphy, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, but I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Thanks again for listening and everybody
1: be well.